All right, guys. Well, come on, grab a seat. As you do, uh, if you are new or newish, uh, we just want to say we're so glad that you're here and also remind you that we are part of a family of churches. There's Anthem Thousand Oaks, Anthem Camarillo, Anthem Denver, and Anthem Ventura. Kind of a weird order I went there. Um, but uh, by God's grace, the Lord has been really generous and gracious to us over 12 and a half years now. Yeah, right? Or am I 13? 12. Uh, we got to plant uh, together with Matt and Kristen, Keely and I, uh, Ryan Hinkle, and Jenny Hasseth uh, up in Thousand Oaks. And it's been a joy. Matt uh, is an incredible leader. God has gifted him in many ways. He's a phenomenal teacher. And Matt is one of those guys that if you have a dream, you want to hang out with Matt. Because he is like... He will blow the most wind into your sails that anybody around could possibly do. And he is amazing. And he, not only is he a neat guy, a gifted teacher, he's also my cousin uh, and been very gifted to do life and ministry together for years now. Uh, but it's important for us. And we'll be honest, we probably haven't done the best job over the last few years of making sure that we're sharing our gifts and sharing ourselves with one another. And so we're really grateful uh, to be able to do this this morning, uh, and we're grateful to have him and Kristen here. They're both amazing, uh, and so you guys welcome Matt up for us, and I'm just going to hand it over to you. That's it. All right. Uh, well, it's really, really good to be here with you guys, really good to see you. Um, you know, I think part of the, uh, the joy of the last set of years has been watching Anthem Camarillo as a church develop and find uh, just a great rhythm of being a family together. Uh, this community needs the gospel. It needs churches like this one to, uh, to be growing in faith, growing in the spirit, growing in what God has for you to carry into the community. I love hearing that uh, just the opportunity to open doors and feed kids and welcome them in and give them an opportunity to meet somebody that, that loves them, that acknowledges that they're there and, and can bring with the love of Jesus uh, a meal is such a powerful thing. And, and we can tend to forget what our communities need because they kind of look like they have it all together when you drive through and you just see everybody everywhere doing anything that they want, anytime that they want. And it just feels like, all right, well, there's not much for me to do here. But the reality is this place needs Jesus immensely, and it needs people who love Jesus immensely. And I am so glad that you're here as a church. Uh, you know, we, we do these things where sometimes we get a chance to come and share. And I offered up uh, this particular Sunday and just asked Kev if he was interested. And he said he was very interested. But then his greatest hesitation for inviting me to come down was the fact that John 15 is on the calendar for today. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those passages that I think everybody would want to preach. And I, I love preaching this passage. I'm so excited to be here to be able to share out of this, uh, this amazing section of Scripture with you guys. So I want to start just pray for us and for our time and ask God to, uh, to really open us up to what he has to say. So often Jesus would say that phrase, uh, let him who has ears to hear. There's an invitation from Jesus to open our hearts up, open our ears up, to receive from him what he has for us. And I want to encourage you to do that this morning. So Lord, would you uh, be with us? Would you facilitate your word in our lives? Show us, teach us, illuminate fresh things that 
that you want planted deeply into our hearts, into our lives. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Uh, so seven years ago, Kristen and I bought a house in Thousand Oaks, and uh, we knew going into buying this house that we were buying in a neighborhood that our, our realtor uh, told us is called Cracked Slabville in Thousand Oaks, right? So every house in this neighborhood was originally constructed. They did all the all the forms and everything, and they put out the rebar uh, for the inspector to come through and check it out. And then uh, before pouring the concrete, the, uh, uh, the developer, who was actually kind of a crook and was later convicted, uh, took all the rebar out and then poured the concrete without any metal in it. So all of the houses in our neighborhood, uh, all of the concrete is there without any rebar in it. And that's not a generally good way to do concrete. What happens is, uh, in California, when the earth shakes and, uh, you know, just... I don't know, the wind blows, whatever, anything, and, uh, and things start to shift and break and crumble. And so you have houses varying degrees of uh, structural um, damage in our neighborhoods, but some of them you have like the whole foundation is tilting away from, each other, from itself, uh, and it gets pretty bad. Ours was so, so bad. We had to do some like epoxy and bind some things together. I don't know. Didn't really pay attention. There's a big crack in our concrete, and we tried to fix it. But the bottom line, the point that I want to bring, uh, is that there's this frustrating reality that if your foundation is off, uh, just about everything else in your house is off. So we've tried to do cabinets, we've tried to do windows, we've tried to do doors, we've tried to do all kinds of things in our house at different times, and everything is just a little bit off, nothing lines up, nothing's level, and it becomes a very difficult thing to do something in your house when the foundation's off. And here's the reality. This passage is one that you may have heard before. It's uh, somewhat known and famous in Christian circles because it is absolutely core. It's Jesus telling his disciples the kind of relationship that he anticipates them having with him after he is gone. We're in the final week of his life. You remember the triumphal entry happened? That was uh, Sunday before Easter Sunday. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter Sunday, and now we're round about Thursday evening. Jesus has had this supper with his disciples. He's been betrayed by Judas. He's washed the disciples' feet, uh, and now he's bringing some teaching that's coming between uh, the night of the Passover meal and the day that he goes to the cross on Friday. He's telling them all kinds of things. John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are some of the most profound teachings that we have in the entirety of the scriptures because it's Jesus, as he's preparing to go to the cross, equipping his disciples for life after his physical presence. And he's trying to get them geared up and ready. He wants them to know everything that they need to know. It's those final moments of him stacking the deck, making sure that the disciples are ready. And what's so interesting is it's not necessarily a vision type of a passage. This isn't the Great Commission moment. This isn't Jesus saying, go and make disciples of all nations. This is Jesus drilling down and making sure that the character and foundation of the relationship that they have with him is established so that the Great Commission can happen. This is Jesus inviting us, now all disciples, into the kind of relationship that we're supposed to have. And what happens is a lot of us grow up in context to kind of picture a relationship with God, and it's hard to imagine how to 
be in a relationship with a distant God that we've never seen, or, or maybe we grow up in very structured religious contexts, and it feels like a set of rules that if you follow the rules, uh, you get good marks, and if you disobey the rules, you get, you get bad marks, and maybe the totals matter in heaven versus hell. We, we kind of get these different ideas of how we're supposed to relate to God, and they don't always feel right. One of the things that happens when you read John 15 is you look at this and you just think, well, that, that feels right. If I, I could pick a relationship with God that I would want to have, this, this is it. And this is exactly what Jesus is giving us to do with him without his physical presence. He's showing us how to have a relationship with him without his physical presence. So we're going to read through this. And I'm going to tell you this in January, our churches, our family of churches are going to be taking this same passage and doing a whole month on it. We're going, to, we're going to take more time and pick this passage apart. You'll even see it as I read through John 15, verses 1 through 17. You'll be like, oh, how's he going to get to all this? Because there's way too much in there. And the reality is, I'm not going to get to all of it. We want to pick this apart. We want to soak this in because it is that foundational for us to understand in order to walk with Jesus, to live with Jesus, to do life with Jesus, we need to know John 15. It's that foundational. And so what we're going to get today is three sort of uh, high-level things that are going to, to show us about the kind of life that Jesus wants to have with us. The first thing is that life with Jesus is intimate. That's what we're going to look at. Life with Jesus is intimate. The second thing we'll look at is that life with Jesus is fruitful. We're going to talk about what it means to have a fruitful life with Jesus and the third thing is that life with Jesus is mutual. It's designed to have a mutual component to it. So let's read John 15, verses 1 through 17. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. If you have an app, we're using the ESV version. Most of those apps have all the versions. So here we go. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, 
so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. All right, generally speaking, familiar or not familiar? You don't have to answer me in any real way. Just kind of curious if that's something that, this is stuff that you've heard before. Jesus, he says these amazing words and he invites us to experience life in a different kind of way. And he even says, I've said these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the way to the flourishing life, Jesus is telling us. This is how you can have the fullness of joy in this difficult world. This is the pathway to experiencing all that the Father has for you. And it comes through this idea of an abiding relationship. Let's take some time and talk about what an abiding relationship looks like. And this is where we're going to get to. Life with Jesus is intimate. All right, so the word abide in the Greek is the word menete. And the word menete comes across as a command. Jesus is actually telling his disciples to abide in me in command form. He's telling them this is important. This is something that you need to do. And abide has a few different ways that it's translated over the course of the New Testament. Uh, There's a couple of places where it says something like stay in the city. And the word stay is menete. It's It's a command to stay there. It's a a call on somebody to not move. That's where you need to be. Stay there is the way that it is translated. It's kind of helpful. There's another one that says, where do you live? And the word live is menete. It's the same kind of idea of of where your physical presence is. That's how this is often used. Stay in the city. Where do you live? It's a picture of your presence, where you are, where you find residence. We don't really use the word abide very often, but the ESV chose to use it as a, as a way to communicate. And the idea is remain, stay, live, dwell. These are all synonyms for what the word abide means. And the idea is I want you there, planted. This is where you belong. So now let's talk about the kind of relationship that would come from an abiding relationship. So if we stay in Jesus, if we remain in Jesus, if we abide or live or dwell in Jesus, what does that actually mean? So Jesus is talking about this, and he gives us this invitation. And he uses a a metaphor of a a vine and branches for us to abide in him. And it's an important picture because Jesus, in fact, some people have even said that after the Last Supper, after that moment of communion, that Jesus might have gone on a walk out onto the hillside and gone into a vineyard and used the vineyard as, a, as an actual example. It's that vivid, the kind of things that he's saying. He says, I'm the vine, my father's the vine dresser, you're the branches. So this is the, the scene of the play that Jesus is, is putting out there for everybody. And this vine-branch relationship is pretty crucial. It's going to make its way into our relationship being intimate, our relationship being fruitful, and our relationship being mutual. It's going into all three of those categories. But the idea of a vine and a branch, Jesus is saying our connectivity is is full and complete. I want you to think of your life as completely encompassed in the ecosystem of Jesus as Savior. You abiding in Christ means that you're going to live your life in the context of Jesus. You're going to do your work in the context of Jesus as Savior. You're going to 
be in relationships in the context of Jesus as Savior. And when you do that, it has a dramatic impact in each of those places. So Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me. Abide in me. Now, there's an interesting uh, component to this because a branch doesn't necessarily choose if it wants to abide in a vine or not, but Jesus is, is calling on us to choose to abide, and that's where the metaphor breaks down a little bit. It's not a predetermined thing that we would abide in Christ, but it's actually a, a participatory invitation. Choose to remain in me. That's the call of Jesus. Choose to remain in me. Now, there's lots of times in life that we get great advice and we don't necessarily follow it. We get a, a great invitation and we don't necessarily follow it. Uh, when I was 23, 24 years old, we were about to have our, our first son, and Kristen was like, hey, we should probably get life insurance now that we're having a, a kid just in case something happens. And so I say, okay. And I'll just tell you, uh, around 18, I got a job at Olive Garden, and that wasn't necessarily a healthy thing to get a job at Olive Garden. I started eating a lot of the food at Olive Garden. And I mean a lot of the food at Olive Garden. I really liked it so that even though I worked there, I'd also take Kristen on dates to Olive Garden and I would eat lots of food at Olive Garden. Uh, I've gone back and counted the calories of what I used to consume in any given single meal at Olive Garden and it is embarrassing that I could put down 4,500 calories in a single meal. I mean, just off the charts. So I go to get, uh, I go to get life insurance and they do the, the health, health physical and at 24 years old, I was denied life insurance because my cholesterol was too high. All right. Now that will change the entire trajectory of your life. That's one of those things that's just like, okay. Because I had this picture in my head of being fit. I was a baseball player. I was young. I could do anything I want. I was a snowboarder. I could jump really high. Things like that. So I just had this picture in my head of being very fit. And here I have this doctor telling me, oh, we can't even give you life insurance because you're so unhealthy. And I was just, I was wrecked. I was wrecked. So I made some changes, some key things. I stopped eating French fries. I, I just kind of tried to diet differently, exercise, whatever. I tried to make some subtle changes in my life. And some of those have stuck. But over the years, it's not that just because one person told me something one time, everything about my life changed and I've been this picture of flawless fitness ever since. Somebody can tell you, eat right, exercise, get some rest, and you'll be a healthy person, and you're like, I agree, and then you do all the other things. <laughs> Jesus says, abide in me, and you'll experience the full joy of God's presence in your life, and you can say, yeah, what's over here? And we do it all the time. And this invitation to an abiding, intimate relationship, Jesus is showing us the way to a healthy, fruitful, intimate life with Christ. And the invitation is for us to respond by choosing to remain in him, to abide in him, to live in the context of Jesus. Well, that context is an intimate context. And I know that word could make you a little bit uncomfortable when it relates to God. I know for a lot of us, sometimes when we sing some worship songs, they come across as just a little too feely for us. They're a little too on the intimate side of things. It's hard to say the words because we're, we're kind of like, is this the kind of relationship that I'm supposed to have with God? Do, am I supposed to gush like this? Am I supposed to lavish God with praise like this? It can feel too close. We like more of a mechanical relationship with God. We like to be able to acknowledge the facts of his existence and say that he is good and affirm the theological truths, and that's plenty. 
But Jesus says this in verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That word as, it's, it's a game changer. As the Father has loved me. I want you to think about the idea of a loving relationship without any sinful interference. So you can love somebody. Maybe you've got a spouse, maybe you've got a sibling, parent, kid, and you've experienced this kind of like deep bond that goes beyond just the the regular, we like the same movies and we go to the same places and we like to do the same things. This is beyond that. This is into like that that gut level, core level love where it's just, I, I can't help but love this person. I love this person. And that love is tainted with sin to the nth degree. You're selfish, they're selfish. You're manipulative, they're manipulative. You're full of bitterness, you're loaded with baggage, you've got all kinds of stuff that makes its way and just creeps its way into even the most loving relationships. And the Father and the Son have none of that. None of that. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, That's the kind of love that I have for you. No sinful interference whatsoever. I have this deep, profound love for you. I love you. As the Father has loved me, that's how I love you. And I want you to live in the context of that love. I want you to walk through life knowing, living, dwelling in the reality that you are loved without sinful interference by the Savior of the world. I mean, that's like like an identity statement. That's a behavioral statement. That's a a knowledge statement. It, It encompasses all of this to know I'm supposed to abide in the love, to remain in the love of Jesus, meaning to be in a constant state of receiving the love of Jesus. He told me to stay in it to remain in it, to abide in it, to dwell in it. He wants me to soak up the love that he has for me. Abide in my love. You stay in my love. I'll abide in you. That call goes beyond just a head knowledge. We talk about this all the time. There are a number of people that can cognitively affirm the salvation story. God created the world. Man sinned. Jesus was sent by God. He died on the cross. He rose again. Somehow that atones for my sins. Sure, sounds about right. And then we go through life with sort of just the the facts checked off. Like, yeah, seems like as good a story as any. That's probably what I believe. I think that's about how it happened. And we can live in this place of of sort of like a religious acknowledgement, but without experiencing any of the fullness of what God has for us. And maybe you even look around in a time of worship and you see people uh, just, you know, with their hands high or they're on their knees weeping or there's there's some experience that you're just like, I I don't really relate to that. I don't, that just, nothing like that ever comes out of me. I don't feel what they feel. This is an interesting thing, because Jesus oftentimes will call us to believe, 
This is not a call to believe. This is a call to feel. Abide in my love. There's a, yeah, there's a few places I could go, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. <laughs> so good that I'm moving on or so good that I said those things? Okay. Yeah. I, I appreciate the affirmation, just, you know. I'll say one more verse just to kind of cap off this intimacy section. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. One of the things that you get from John is all of these years later. So he, he writes his writing later. Uh, John lived a lot of years after Jesus rose uh, and ascended into heaven, and he writes John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation all later in life. They all come maybe... 50 years after Jesus ascended, give or take. He just reflects on things with such power. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. There's this, there's this ecosystem of love that he just wants us to exist in, to know that at all times we are loved by God. It's the invitation to abide in him. All right, the second thing, life with Jesus is fruitful. Verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, anybody tried to do fruit trees? We've got fruit trees. We love fruit trees. Uh, I love getting fruit. We've had an orange tree that gave us the best oranges I've ever had. I squeezed the orange juice. It's just amazing. I love having fruit trees that yield fruit. Fruit trees that don't yield fruit, uh, they're fine, <laughs> but they're not necessarily like great. They're not great for shade. They're not great for climbing. They're just kind of there. They don't necessarily, avocado trees are a little different. They're like big and beautiful, but the rest of them just look like they're just kind of there. And the reality is in the first century when uh, the food that you, that you grew or the food that you caught was the food that you had. The idea of having a, a tree that doesn't bear fruit, the first thing you do if that tree doesn't bear fruit is you cut it down and use it for firewood because stuff needed to be useful. And that was just the reality of it was there's a, a purpose component to a fruit tree and that's to give the fruit that it's supposed to bear. And so Jesus is using this example that would have been very clear. It sounds really harsh to us. Like, well, if a tree doesn't bear fruit, it gets cut off and burned. And we're like, ah. And we just think of, I better bear fruit or I'm going to hell. That's like our picture. But Jesus is actually just giving a picture of, well, of course, this is what you do with a non-fruit-bearing tree. Is you, you just you, you burn it. The, the whole point of being a part of the vine is to bear the fruit that vine produces. That's the purpose of a branch. You have purpose as a follower of Jesus. We say this a lot. Uh, this happened just before we planted Anthem Church. Kristen and I were sitting down at our breakfast table. I still remember this. And it was one of those just like breakfast table conversations. She's like, why do you think when we give our lives to Jesus, we're not instantly just sucked up into heaven? And that, I mean, how many more people would give their lives to Jesus. If somebody was like, I believe, gone. It's like, so that's the way out. And then we just, all right, we believe and we're gone. We're just sucked up into heaven. It, it sort of has that picture of, uh, is there any reason that's not the case? 
And the answer is actually Jesus commissioning us into this broken and fallen world to bring his presence, to bring his purpose, to bring his goodness, to take broken vessels, to be filled with the greatest treasure that mankind has ever known, and to go among other broken vessels and to bring healing and power and goodness through the gospel of Jesus. That's what he's left us here to do. That's the purpose. That's why you're still here. So if you give your life to Jesus, you're instantly adopting this new purpose that's been given to you, and it's to be a a presence carrier, somebody that brings the presence of God into every circumstance and every situation that you are in. And so Jesus is speaking to this, and he says, look, abide in me and I in you. That's the person that bears much fruit. That's the branch that does what it's supposed to do, is the one that stays connected to the vine. And the life of the vine flows through the branch and produces the fruit, and the fruit is given. The fruit is shared. We have a mentor, a guy named Terry Fouché, that's been here before, and he he was reflecting on fruit. He, just, he said something that was so profound. He said, you know, the, the thing about fruit is it's always for somebody else. The fruit tree doesn't consume its own fruit. It gives it away to others. It's there so that others can be, experience the benefit of that tree bearing fruit, of that branch bearing fruit. The idea of fruitfulness is this picture of being a blessing here on earth. Let's talk about what fruitfulness is, because the idea of being fruitful can be a little bit confusing, and it's actually confusing because the idea of being fruitful as a Christian uh, is, has varied applications throughout the New Testament. It's not any one thing. It's not leading somebody to Jesus is the only thing that's bearing fruit, though that's talked about. It's not the fruit of the Spirit, though that's absolutely talked about, and that's one of the things. So this idea of bearing fruit is much more broad than any one application. Here's the idea of bearing fruit. It's this picture throughout the New Testament of the activity of God happening in us and the outcome of the activity of God in us is fruitfulness. And let's talk about what some of those things are according to the New Testament. We have inner character being formed by the presence of God. That's fruitful. So some of the fruit that comes out of us is the that inner character that's being developed in us. That's the fruit that comes from abiding in Christ. And this comes from Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then it says, the fruit of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Let's talk about those fruitful things for just a minute. If you're abiding in Christ or walking by the Spirit, those things for the sake of our conversation are are really close to synonymous. So if you're abiding in Christ or walking by the Spirit and these character things are being formed, who gets to experience the blessing of you being more gentle? It's not usually you. Your gentleness is not for your benefit. It's actually so that other people can experience a different kind of humanity, a different kind of person that's being redeemed by the presence of God. Your self-control, maybe it's like, well, I would do way better on my diet if I was walking by the Spirit. It's a different kind of self-control. It's a self-control that actually guards your mouth, actually protects other people from the sinful things that so often pour out of us. 
And you can just walk through all of those things, our joy and our peace. They, they give to other people. They let them experience the blessing of Christ's presence in that place because you lived by the Spirit, because you were abiding in Christ. Okay, so that's one. Inner character being formed by the presence of God. Okay, we talk about uh, people coming to faith in Jesus. This idea of the gospel bearing fruit is in Colossians chapter 1. It says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul in that context is actually talking about how the gospel is expanding as a result of these people walking by faith. It goes out. It bears fruit. The gospel produces disciples. That's part of the fruitfulness of following Jesus. Uh, Hebrews, and I'm so sorry, I forgot to write down the reference. Somewhere in Hebrews, this verse says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Righteousness of Christ in us. Knowing the right thing to do, the good things to do in this world. Those are just three examples of fruit bearing. So Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. The one that abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. That's the person that's producing these things of God. Well, part of the invitation to being a fruit-bearing individual is determining that that's what you want to be. Do you want to be the kind of person that brings the presence of God to this earth and helps advance the name of Jesus? to see his goodness and his mercy and his faithfulness and his peace overtake the earth. Jesus actually chooses you and me as the delivery system for his fruit. And that's all built into this metaphor. I am the vine, you're the branches. The vine brings nutrients to the branch and then the branch gets to bear the fruit. Jesus is saying, what I bring to you, I, I flow through you and, and create this fruit. If you ever watch a tree or we have our, our neighbors have a grapevine that runs our, our fence and every once in a while it creeps over and my daughters like to eat the grapes off of their grapevine. But I figure it's on our property. <laughs> Plus we're not going to like heave the vine over the top of the fence then kill all, all the grapes. I have no idea why I told you that story. I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> but the idea of, of, for us of bearing fruit, oh, that's what it was. It's no effort on the, on the tree's part. It doesn't like, like produce fruit at will. An apple tree doesn't just, it doesn't determine to produce fruit. It's actually in its nature. And that's essentially what Jesus is trying to get at with us is it becomes your nature. When you abide in me and I in you, he it is that bears much fruit. The command isn't go and bear much fruit. The command is abide in me and that's the person that bears fruit. Stay connected to me. Dwell in me. Live in this system of life that I have for you, this knowledge that you're loved. Be here and you bear fruit. And in bearing fruit... A couple of things happen. Jesus says these things, this is verse 11, these things I have spoken to you 
that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So just to, to kind of speak to Jesus' reasoning for inviting us to be fruit-bearing individuals. He's showing us that this is the way to experience the joy of life here. Living out your purpose. Being here for the purpose of the life of God flowing through you and landing in somebody else's life, that is, what, according to Jesus, that's the joy of the Christian life. To walk away from that is to walk away from the joy of the Christian life. To press into that is to press into the joy of the Christian life. He's, he's giving us this picture that if you want to experience full joy, it comes through living as one attached to the vine and one that bears fruit because of that connection to Jesus. In that place, that's the person that gets to experience the fullness of Jesus' joy that's the person that gets to walk through this life knowing that they are living for their intended purpose and carrying out the name of Jesus as it was meant to be carried out. And Jesus invites us into that place. So when we do life with Jesus, it's fruitful. He manifests in us. He produces in us. He bears fruit in us and through us, and we get a chance to experience other people being blessed by Jesus' presence in us. All right, the last thing we'll talk about is that life with Jesus is mutual. It's two-way. It goes both directions. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. And this is a, a really simple but profound idea. That Jesus wants this relationship to be two directions. Sometimes I think we can get this picture that we're just here to worship him. And we are part of our life in relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, the savior of all mankind. We, we worship. But right here, he's like, okay, I want to I break that down. I want you to abide in me, and I want to abide in you. He actually, specifically with his disciples, says, you are my friends. He wants to change the dynamic of the relationship and say, no longer do I call you servants. I'm shifting this whole component of how we connect to each other. I want you to be viewed as participants in it. Now, I want to say one thing, because you might look at this and just say, okay, this is a little weird. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, if that was your posture as a friend in this world, it might be a little weird, right? Hey, we're buddies if you do what I command you, creates kind of a, a strange friendship. But Jesus is actually getting at, at something that's important for us to know from this. He's talking about his relationship with the Father back in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And there's an important aspect of obedience and abiding. What Jesus has given us is... Uh, uh, some authors have referenced it and called it the flourishing life. John 15, Psalm 1, talk about how do you experience all of the life that God has for you. And it's actually not really much of a mystery. The Bible tells us, gives us great wisdom on how to live the flourishing life. It's there and available for us. 
So it's relatively simple in understanding it. It's, it's complicated to live it out because we're living as fallen, broken people in a fallen, broken world, and stuff comes flying at us, and there's, there's difficulty through and through, and diligence and discipline, those are not our natural states of being. There, there's difficulty in it, but it's a simple concept. And this idea of the, the flourishing life, what Jesus has given us, the commandments of God, aren't viewed as... Um, even the idea of a law is taken away. It's the law of Christ. It's actually the law of grace. It's this picture of, I want to give you a way of living so that you can experience the fullness of what God has for you. And so, as the Father gave Jesus commandments, he's giving us commandments. And Jesus doesn't view the Father giving him commands as some kind of a distancer in a relationship. He's actually viewing that as, as an act of grace. That God would give him clarity is an act of grace. That God would would tell him how he can walk in obedience in this world in Jesus' mind is an act of grace, and he's doing the same thing for us. He's giving us the way to walk that we might experience fullness of joy, fullness of peace, fullness of right living, the goodness of God in our life today. And so he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And that might, that might tweak our brains a little bit. But what he's saying is, look, here's the way for us to experience a good relationship. Every command that Jesus has given is holy, righteous, and good. And it's all for the benefit of us and this world. It brings a greater measure of God's presence, a greater measure of God's joy, a greater measure of God's word into our hearts. It does work in us and produces a better outcome Jesus is not weird at all about saying, oh, you're, you're my friends if you do what I command. If you're in this space, it is the space for you to be. That's where you live. And we can find the greatest connection, the greatest intimacy, the greatest fruitfulness. The mutual component of this is Jesus saying, abide in me. So there's a command. And then he says, and I in you. He's calling us to come and remain in him, to find life in his presence. And at the same time, he's saying, and you know what? I fill you up. I live in you. I abide in you. So we're not always just chasing Jesus to find a way to abide in him. There's this sense of abide in me and I in you. I am with you to the very end of the age, Jesus says in Matthew 28. The power of this is that we're not simply working for Jesus. And this is why he says, I no longer call you servants. The servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, verse 16, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And there's this, there's this life that's available to you. When you abide in me, and I in you. So now let's talk about what this abiding life could look like. And I'll wrap up here in just a minute. What does it look like to remain in Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to dwell in Jesus? What it looks like is that our lives are lived in the experience of Jesus' love. When you wake up, You begin your day knowing that you are loved by God. 
It's part of the, it's part of the knowledge that makes its way into our heart. We meditate on these realities. We know that God is for us. We start our day in that place. And there are lots of skills, habits, disciplines that are given to us to help understand these things better. And just to give you a picture, I mean, exercise has gone through just evolutions over generations, different things at different times. Right now it's a Peloton. Everybody wants to get one. When I was growing up, it was a Nordic track. My parents got one. Everybody wanted one. It's this ski contraption with cross-country. Yeah. Yes. All right. Dave knows. This abiding in Christ, there are many books out there on how to walk in the way of Jesus and experience life with him. There are a lot of different disciplines and habits that you can practice and implement that will help you in this abiding relationship. Meditating on the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, spending time in solitude, prayer in community, prayer on your own, worship in community, worship on your own. There are habits that you can undertake that will lead you into this reminding that I am in the love of Christ and the love of Christ is in me. But the call on you is to participate in this. The command to abide is one that's saying it's not going to just happen. There's a choice on your part to live in the love of Christ. To dwell in Kevin and uh, Eric, well, actually, Kevin sent to us the uh, uh, devotional that you guys get to go through starting next week for uh, Advent. It's actually based out of John 15. And a lot of the invitations, even in that devotional, are invitations to practice and experience the things that we're talking about in this, that ways to abide in Christ. That's another tool and another resource that you can walk through and understand and grow in this abiding relationship. I feel, I'm sorry, I'm starting to feel the pinch of time, so I don't, I'm not going to walk through all of the habits and practices or even give you some suggested ones, but I want to encourage you to know that there is um, help, lots of help in the church community for the people that say, I just, I want that abiding relationship. Your DNA group, your community group, your Advent community, these opportunities will walk right into that and say, okay, let's do this right now. Let's go. Let's abide in Christ and experience his love today, tomorrow, and the next day. And we will bear much fruit.